You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hello, everyone. It is Brady Klopfer with Golden State of Mind. And I have decided to restart the Golden State of Mind podcast just in time for us to discuss one of the most deflating losses in recent Warriors history. So, great timing there. I apologize that this is the book we're starting on. Um, But we're just going to get back into a swing of kind of short, near-daily podcasts. I'll be recapping every game for the rest of the finals. Um, any news that comes up and then as we get into the offseason you know draft news free agency news summer league etc etc until we get to yet another season where the Warriors will hopefully be attempting to repeat as NBA champions but they have a long way to go to do that they have to win four out of six games against the Celtics after blowing a very, very winnable game one. Um, just deflating all around, truthfully. You know, the Warriors sounded pretty upbeat about it after the game, all things considered, and I think that's good that that was a sign of of their veteran experience, how many times they've gone through this before. Um, but for fans, at least, I think it, you know, it's safe to say that it was as deflating as it gets. They, they blew a 15-point lead. Um, had a chance to go up 1-0 in the NBA Finals, 15-point lead. They blow it by getting outscored by 24 points in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, the third quarter was great. They were trailing at halftime. They won the third quarter by 14 points, and they took uh, a big lead into the fourth quarter, and then they lost that quarter by 24 points, turning a 12-point lead at the start of the fourth quarter into a 12-point loss. Um, And again, just because we're deflated as fans, that doesn't have to mean anything. Uh, The team sounded more upbeat than the fan base, which is certainly what you want. Um, But it's still a huge opportunity missed, and and is a very rare opportunity missed, for that matter. It's, It's not something we see the Warriors do a lot. This was their 24th playoff series since their dynasty began, since Steve Kerr took over. This is just the third time that they have lost the first game of the series. Uh, As wild as that is. Um, They are one and one in those previous two times, so, you know, it's not all bad. Uh, But obviously they've done better in the 21 times where they've won the first game of the series. So, they didn't put themselves in the situation they want to be in, but again, it's a long series. It's a veteran team. Uh, they entered the series with a lot of NBA Finals experience, whereas the Celtics entered it with no NBA Finals experience. Um, none of their players had ever played in an NBA Finals game before. So there's still time for that to, to show up. Um, but let's break down the game a little bit. It, it started on a high note. Steph Curry was absolutely outstanding. 
Um, it really looked like he made it a priority to finally get that NBA Finals Most Valuable Player trophy that has somehow eluded him so far. Uh, I say that jokingly because we know that Curry, as selfless as he is, is really just focused on winning. He is not focused on picking up the individual hardware. And if the Warriors do win this series, I find it very, very, very hard to believe that there is really any scenario in which anyone else wins the award. Um, but from a funny narrative standpoint, it certainly felt like that's what he was going after because he he came out of the gates firing. Um, he made an NBA Finals record six three-pointers in the first quarter. That was the most, most threes that any player has ever made in any quarter in an NBA Finals game. He, he really just controlled the game, 21 points in the quarter for him. Um, but even with that, the Warriors only led by four points at the end of the first quarter because, frankly, they weren't doing a lot of other things well. Andrew Wiggins was playing fairly well, but but other than Wiggins and Curry, uh, things just weren't happening for the Dubs. Um, the second quarter was more of the same. They really struggled in the minutes that Curry was on the bench and gave up a little bit of a run to the Celtics. The Celtics ended up outscoring the Warriors by six points in that quarter, taking a two-point lead into the third quarter. Um, and then the third quarter Warriors, as, we, as we've come to expect, they, they are still alive all these years later, just a fantastic third quarter team. They won that third quarter 38 to 24. It, it really seemed like they were in control. Curry was again doing great things. Uh, some really strong minutes from Otto Porter Jr. who shot four for five from the field. Um, all of those shots being three pointers. Uh, and it really just seemed like it was it was their game to lose. And then the fourth quarter came, and, and really everything that the Warriors could have wanted to avoid happening happened. Um, the Celtics caught fire. The Warriors played sloppy. Klay uh, Thompson was not shooting the ball well. Jordan Poole had one of his worst games of the season, if not his absolute worst game of the season. Um, Draymond Green was shooting a lot but not making a lot, and as a result, Curry seemed to lose a little bit of that trust in his teammates that he's been known for having. Um, and I don't say that critically because there was a reason he lost trust in those teammates. They weren't earning his trust. Um, but after after scorching the Celtics in the first quarter, uh, Boston really changed their defense on Steph a little bit. And they really started sending more help at him, more traps, more doubles, trying to get the ball out of his hands, trying to force anybody else to beat him uh, or to beat them. And, and with no one else stepping up to that task, Curry started to force the issue, I think, a tiny bit. Um, and again, it's very understandable why he did that, and that's what superstars have to do some of the times. But um, it played into what Boston wanted. They, they took their chances that no one else could beat them, and no one else could beat them. And when no one else could beat them, Steph Curry tried to beat them, but they were prepared for it because that had become their strategy. Um, and from there, everything was just a domino effect of things falling off. The, the Warriors couldn't get a stop. They, the Celtics kept hitting backbreaking shots. The Warriors kept missing good looks when they had them and then forcing bad looks a lot of the time. And you could just see, see them get deflated a little bit. You could see them not working quite as hard on the glass, not going after the 50-50 balls quite as hard. And, and it resulted in a 17-0 run by the Celtics um, to go from behind to not just up, but up big. Uh, they turned a 15-point deficit into a 15-point lead. 
and uh, 40 to 16 fourth quarter, which frankly is just about as bad as you're going to see on this stage, especially from a team as good as the Warriors. Um, so a few other, a few points to, to take away from the game, some of the most interesting notes I thought. Uh, the Warriors were at full health for this game, or as as full health as they are capable of being this year. Everybody except James Wiseman uh, was available. Gary Payton II was available. Otto Porter Jr. was available. Andre Iguodala was available. All of those players had been out for a while with various different ailments. Um, interestingly, Payton did not play in this game. He was the only warrior who did not get on the court. Um, although, to be clear, there there were five warriors who only got on the court in the final minute for garbage time, and that was Nemanja Bjelica, Jonathan Kaminga, Wanda Stano-Anderson, Damian Lee, and Moses Moody. No surprises there. Um, but Peyton was not a part of the rotation, and I don't know if that's just this particular matchup. The Celtics, you know, they're... Their offensive creators are more from the forward and center positions than from guards the way that that some past teams the Warriors have faced are. Um, or maybe it was just that Peyton's been out as long and perhaps rusty, perhaps still in pain, and Steve Kerr didn't want to push it even if he was available. Um, but it was interesting to see him uh, a healthy scratch I'll be curious to see if he plays in game two. I think personally that he could do really good things on Jason Tatum. We've seen we've seen GP2 do really amazing things when guarding larger players. He was very disruptive in the first round against Nikola Jokic. He was very um, successful earlier in the year when matched up with Luka Doncic. He does a really good job being that pesky smaller player, uh, kind of in a Chris Paul way. Uh, just disrupting angles for larger players and, and really annoying them. So I think he could do a really good job on Jason Tatum. With that said, Andrew Wiggins did a phenomenal job on Jason Tatum in this game. Um, and I want to bring that up partially as a compliment to Wiggins, who um, was one of the Warriors' better players. I would say probably their second best player after Steph Curry in game one. Um, but I also say it to, as, to offer a little bit of caution uh, because Draymond Green was very open after the game that he's not particularly worried because the Celtics shot a higher percentage from three-point range than they usually do, and it came from perhaps some unlikely sources. Uh, he pointed specifically to Al Horford shooting six for eight, Derek White shooting five for eight, and Marcus Smart shooting four for seven. Uh, now those three can all shoot, specifically Al Horford, who is having a phenomenal postseason. Um, but, you know, Draymond is right that they're unlikely to shoot that well going forward. They're probably not going to combine to shoot 15 for 23 from three-point range again. Um, and, you know, that's a process versus results thing that Draymond is right about. But the corollary to that is Jason Tatum shot three for 17 from the field. Three for 17. One for five on threes. Two for 12 on twos. Five for seven on free throws. In his defense, he had 13 assists. Not normally what we see from Jason Tatum, but very impressive stuff from him. Um, but he's not going to shoot three from 17 again this series. Just, just as Al Horford and Derek White and Marcus Smart are not going to shoot 15 for 23 from three-point range in game two, Jason Tatum isn't going to shoot three for 17. Um, and again, it's a testament to the defense Andrew Wiggins played, but the Warriors have to be prepared for the fact that, yes, the Celtics shot 
0.2% from three-point range, and that's not particularly sustainable. But there were a lot of areas where Boston didn't play as well as they're capable of playing, and the Warriors are, are going to have to deal with that going forward. They're going to have to face a better scoring Jason Tatum. With that said, um, I kind of felt going into the series that this was likely to be the way that they handled Jason Tatum and, and that they were going to have success. I, I've argued that the Warriors' defense is very well fitted to defend a player like Jason Tatum, who, as good as he is, he is still willing to kind of fall into the habit of taking difficult, contested shots if you play him well enough. And I think Andrew Wiggins did that. He, he bothered him a little, and a little bit. And Draymond Green also, when switched on to him, um, or even just when assigned on him in certain portions of the game, Otto Porter, Clay Thompson, um, Kevon Looney. It, it was a total team effort, but Andrew Wiggins was at the head of it, I think. Um, but, you know, Tatum will, will kind of reward that a little bit by, by taking those difficult shots. And um, I think the Warriors' defense not only can force that, but they're very good at letting superstars kind of take their shots and have it come at the expense of the rest of the offense, disrupt the offensive flow a little bit, make the other guys beat them. Um, and in this particular game, the other guys did, in fact, beat them, and, and that didn't work in the Warriors' favor. But I do think the process was fairly good. They're going to need to be a lot better at closing out on three-point shooters. Yes, some of some of Boston's hot night was variance, but some of it was just poor, poor defensive rotations from the Warriors, and they're going to need to do a better job at that going forward. Um, I think that's about all the important notes from the game. Um, Draymond Green had a weird game. You know, he did some really good things on defense. He had 11 rebounds, five assists, also fouled out. Um, but he had a horrible shooting game. Two, two for 12 from the field, 0 for 3 from free th on free throws, 0 for 4 on threes. Um, I've long maintained that that, Dray that the Warriors' offense does a lot better when Draymond is being aggressive, when he's looking for a shot, even though he's obviously not the team's best scorer or anything close to it. I just think the offense functions better when he's in that capacity. Uh, but in this particular one, he was so bad scoring the ball that it really started to hurt the team a little bit. Um, so hopefully he keeps that aggression, but, you know, finds a way to, to convert more of those opportunities. Probably cut it on the threes a little bit. Doesn't need to be taking four of those. And that's not particularly necessary. Um, the only other point to get on here is, is, I mentioned it earlier, but Jordan Poole was awful. He was just flat out awful. Um, in every stage of the game, he, he was passive offensively, his shot selection wasn't good, uh, the shots weren't going in, he wasn't doing much to create for his teammates, he had two assists to four turnovers, uh, the defense was very poor. These games happen, he's, he's a young player, he's in his third year, he's playing on the brightest stage for the first time. These things are, are going to happen, and I think that he will likely bounce back here. That would be my expectation for him. But he's someone to watch because obviously he's at a young enough age where you know you hope that a player doesn't get rattled when they have a bad game under the bright lights. Uh, I think Poole has shown time and time again that he is a graduate of the Steph Curry school of confidence and arrogance. And he doesn't seem like a player who is liable to let one bad game impact him. But we're going to have to wait and find out. So, in conclusion, prime opportunity to win game one and be in the driver's seat in the series. Instead, the Warriors have to play catch-up. 
Game two is, you can't call a game this early in the series a must win, but falling down 2-0 when you have home court advantage is about as disastrous as you can imagine and about as big of an uphill climb as you, you can create. So game two, Sunday night, going to be incredibly important and I would expect the Warriors to come out firing. I would expect a big game from both Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, probably from Jordan Poole as well. Perhaps we'll get to see Gary Payton II on the court. Uh, Andre Iguodala, who looked quite good in this game but did have a few mistakes, hopefully getting on the court for the first time since early in the playoffs, shook off some rust and he'll be even better in game two. And it's going to be a big one. We'll see what adjustments Steve Kerr makes. We'll see what adjustments the players make it's going to be an exciting game and i'll be back then with a recap of that one thanks for listening everyone